and he's here. morning. Uh, the Bible reading today is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church, and welcome to our service this morning. Excuse me. The second reading that I'd like to lead us through comes from Acts chapter 7. Seems to flow beautifully from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Acts chapter 7, verse 35. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, you made, you made, sorry, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. And he received 
living words to pass on to us. Let's just pray together. Thank you, Lord, that your words are indeed living words. And we would be here this morning to receive them. We want to feast on those living words, the words that Peter reminded us when he said, Lord, where else shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And they're the words we thank you, Father, that you have given to us as we open our hearts to the living God, to the living word, the Lord Jesus himself. Father, speak to us that we might hear and know how your word applies to us today. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Um, it was an afternoon shift. It was either the, the 1 to 9 or 2 to 10, I can't remember. That were the shifts that we used to work. It was a Sunday evening at the Groveley Ambulance Station on Sanford Road, Capera, probably in around about 1989. We had returned uh, after taking someone to hospital, and um, <clears throat> we were the only unit at that, at that uh, time back at the station. And it was fairly similar. Not every weekend was exactly the same, obviously, but it was a fairly similar to other weekends back in those days, other weekend shifts that I had done before over the past nine to ten years. But something changed for me early on that Sunday evening. As I walked outside, which I used to do a little bit, just kind of after a job, walk outside, walk around a little bit, enjoy the cool of the evening, and that was an evening. As I walked outside and stood quietly on the front apron or the front or the driveway of the ambulance station, and I can remember even then, if you know Sanford Road, Sanford Road was quiet back then, at that time. So as I stood there, I sensed an overwhelming presence of God that came upon me, so much so that it brought tears brimming out of my eyes, quite unexpectedly. I was about 33 years of, old, back, of age back then when I first felt that God wanted to do something else and something more with my life. Seven years on from there, at age 40, I resigned from the QAS and I entered Bible college. And as the old saying goes, the rest is history. Hmm. You know, as we continue this series in the book of Exodus and we come to chapters 3 and 4 it seems to me that that I have a little bit in common with Moses firstly he was at work and not necessarily expecting anything out of the ordinary to to happen to him that day it was to be another day in the desert looking after his father-in-law's sheep secondly it was 40 years not in terms of his age, but indeed the second 40 years of Moses' life, at age 80, that his life was about to change. For it was now that God saw Moses was ready to fulfil his plan and submit to his will. Unlike 40 years earlier, in the prime of his life, in which Moses was described by Stephen in his speech there in Acts chapter 7, verse 22. These words are there. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. 
So with a description like that of Moses, what was missing from his life? Surely he was ready. That description of Moses by Stephen, and it would have been an accurate description, clearly indicates, doesn't it, that Moses was more than ready to conquer the world and to rescue a nation and to do it when he was 40 years younger, when he was full of vigour and energy and ambition. Surely he was ready and qualified back then at 40 years of age. Well, you see, there's just one problem with that. The problem is this. God didn't think so. God did not think so. How different are his thoughts than ours? Have you noticed that in your own life, in your own walk with the Lord? Have you noticed that, that he doesn't always see things the way you do? Jesus said these words, Luke 16, verse 15. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. And then these other magnificent words from Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. In God's sovereign will and purpose, he would transfer Moses, a prince in Egypt, transfer him to be a shepherd in Midian. In Egypt, Moses learned the wisdom of man. In the desert, he would learn the wisdom of God. And so God chose to use the second 40 years of his life to where he knew that Moses would be, firstly, ready to hear God's voice. In Exodus 3 and verses 4 to 6, it's interesting to note that up until that day, when Moses heard the voice of God from the burning bush, There's no record in scripture that indicates that that Moses, during that 40 years, ever heard from God in the desert at Midian. And And that this was the first time in four decades that God chose to break his silence with Moses. Moses would have had absolutely no idea that this was going to be the day that he would hear God's voice clearly and unmistakably calling his name. Moses knew God was calling him. Moses, not just once, twice. Moses. And Moses answered immediately, here I am. I like uh, what uh, Chuck Chuck Swindoll gives an almost humorous, well it is humorous, description of that day listen to what he says it was just another day in the wilderness office maybe some of you feel like you're there under the shadow of Mount Horeb the sun came up the sheep grazed and Moses chalked off his 14th thousand six hundredth day as Jethro's assistant shepherd 
That's the way God works. Without even a hint of warning, he speaks to ordinary people on ordinary days. Now, I want to make something pretty clear here. And you've heard us say it before as pastors and other people that have been up at the pulpit many times. I'm sure you've heard it. You and I need to be spending daily time alone with the Lord. You need to find that place where you can prayerfully and intentionally open God's word, reading, meditating and drawing near to the Lord and listening to his voice as he speaks to your heart and you speak to his. There needs to be that daily intimacy, cultivating that relationship, that fellowship with Christ. We each need to do that every day and you will hear God's voice speaking to you through his word, by his Holy Spirit. However, in the context of Moses in Exodus 3 and 4 and what Chuck Swindoll says, for many... There will come a time when God will speak to you as he has never spoken before. Not only will it be life transforming for you, but most likely life transferring as it was and would be for Moses. But here's the thing. God knew when it was right. God knew that Moses was ready to hear his voice. And so too for you. For God knows when you're ready. and, And by the way, God's in no hurry. Nor should we be. Certainly not impatient like we so naturally are. God... I want it now. You've got to act now. No, I don't want to wait. I want it now. Isn't that so naturally us? Sometimes God says, rest and wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Don't be impatient. Wait for the Lord. So I want to advise this. I want to, I want to count you to do this. Walk closely with the Lord. But make sure while you are walking closely to the Lord that you're getting on with what he's given you to do. In your everyday activities, whatever God's put you there to do, whatever role he's allotted for you, in your particular place of service for him, get on with it. Do it. Just as it was for Moses. You see, God knew that Moses was ready to hear his voice. And God also knows when you're ready. And it may not be now. The beautiful thing is that God knows you so intimately. And when someone else is ready, you may not be. So wait for him. Wait for him. Because God knows when you're ready to hear his voice. But secondly... Uh, God also knew that Moses was ready to hear God's heart. Look at uh, verse 7 of chapter 3. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers 
and I am concerned about their suffering. New King James Version says, for I know their sorrows. Isn't that magnificent? Are you glad that God knows your sorrows? Do you know, are you glad he knows your heart? And he wants you to know his heart. This verse that I just read from 3.7 needs to be compared with what we read last week in Exodus 2, chapter, uh, verses 23-25. Listen to this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. In the voice of God, Moses got to hear the heart of God. A heart that was so beautifully moved by compassion, mercy and grace. A heart moved by the helplessness the hopelessness, the suffering, the tormented condition of his people. And therefore a heart determined to deliver them. The Bible exposit I got at home, um, it, it portrays the burning bush like this. I love the symbolism as it relates to Israel, God's people. His people today, possibly. It says this, the prickly shrub pictured, in, pictured the sinful enslaved Israelites. Since thorns are the result of the curse of sin. Genesis 3, 17, 18, as you know, thorns were never part of God's original creation. They came after the fall. Christ wore the crown of thorns, didn't he? Speaks of the curse of God on sin. Let me keep going. The fire symbolises their suffering and tribulation. The unscathed bush shows that all the persecution visited upon the people could not annihilate them. As the appearance of the angel of the Lord out of the flaming bush indicates, they are preserved by divine power. Does this not also remind us of this same God who looked across the whole of humanity, including you and me, in its sinfulness and in its helplessness, in its hopelessness? And do we not also hear the heart of this same God who sent his only son into the world to be the sacrifice that was essential, the sacrifice necessary to redeem a sinful, lost and groaning humanity? who had and who has no hope of saving themselves. And so God, out of his great love for us, came to us. Are you glad that God came to you? Because you couldn't come to him. He had to come to you first. See, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came to us out of his great love for us. John 3.16, we should know it off by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What a gift. What a God. 
You see, Moses was ready not, not, not just to hear the voice of God, but to hear the heart of God. Who made it clear that he had not ignored his people, nor was he indifferent to their hardship. But he knew, he knew their sorrows. And this was so beautifully confirmed in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 31, where it says this. And they believed, when Moses came to them, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and that he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. And doesn't that give us cause to bow down and worship him today? Because he sees you. He knows what's going on inside of you. You can hide it from everybody else, but you can't hide it from him. And let me say this, don't try to hide it from God. Let him into that space. Let him into that place where you're hurting. Let him into that place where you are disillusioned. Give him access because he sees it. And he alone is the one who can fix it. You need to hear the heart of God. How reassuring for you and me to know that in our times of, of stress, of our, of our times of distress, of our times of misery and sorrow, we have this same God who knows and who hears our cries and who takes notice of our prayers. Chuck Swindoll again, he says this, God knows right down to the final nub exactly where you are in life. He sees, he cares, he is aware, and best of all, he is touched by it. I love there's a verse in the scripture, it's an Old Testament verse. It just simply says, speaking about God's people, in all their distress, he too was distressed. He enters into your pain, he enters into your suffering, he knows what it's like. He's touched by it, but not only is he touched by it, I want to add this, that in Christ... God has done something about it. Not only does he see what's going on, not only is he touched by it, but he's done something about it. In that he sent his only son into this sin-sodden world, into your world. Where darkness reigns and where the light of life comes when you open your heart to Christ. You see, God knew Moses was ready to hear God's voice. God knew that Moses was ready to hear God's heart. And thirdly, Moses was ready to hear God's plan. Look at verses 8 to 10, Exodus 3. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzizites, Hivites, Jebusites. They get all the ites mixed up. And Vegemites, if you want to put that one into. Verse 9, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. To bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. 40 years earlier, Moses had his own plan of deliverance for his people. 
For again, as Stephen had rightly stated in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. Forty years before, Moses, in self-confidence, had run ahead with his own plan before he was sent with God's plan. Bit of a difference, isn't there? And Stephen spoke about that as well in the same speech before he was martyred. When he said this in verse 25 of Acts 7, Moses thought that his own people would realise that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. They did not. Why not? Because God at that time had not. Forty years later, however, in a lonely desert as a shepherd with the Lord at work in his heart, in his life, Moses had become very aware of his own weaknesses, of his own inadequacies, of his own shortcomings. And he had learned something about true humility. And this is evident by his reply. Indeed, even by his excuses and his objections to God's plan. Listen to what Moses says in in verse 11, Exodus 3. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Forty years before, yep, here I am. I'm Moses, prince of Egypt. I can do it. Now he's saying, who am I? Chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Verse 10, chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Now, in this third objection, or this third excuse that Moses is using, he was either downplaying his ability to speak, because noting what Stephen had said about Moses, that he was powerful in speech, and that would have been true, So one commentator says, well, he was either downplaying that or Moses had, in fact, lost that ability. I mean, you think about it. In the wilderness, looking after sheep for 40 years, talking to sheep for 40 years, you kind of would lose something of that ability to, to, to sort of conversation. Albert Barnes says this. He suggests this. Moses seemed to imply a difficulty both in finding words and giving them utterance. A very natural result of so long a period of a shepherd's life passed in a foreign land. Can't understand that, can't we? But with Moses' fourth objection, there was something more going on there. Something more than humility. There's also a tone of unbelief whereby Moses is now questioning God's wisdom of his appointment of Moses to the task. 
God, are you really sure? Me? Who am I? No. Come on, God. Not me. No. Lord, really? You know how it is? Moses was questioning the wisdom of God in his appointment. <clears throat> notice his response in verse 13, and then notice what God says in verse 14. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. And what does God say? Verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Why did God then get angry with Moses? Yes, he accepts our humility. The Bible says that. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Yep, Moses was overstepping the mark. But look at the incredible patience of God in this reply. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you. And he will be glad to see you. You, Moses, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. So God's saying, I'm not letting you off the hook. You're going to speak. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. You're going to put them in Aaron's mouth. I'm still appointing you, Moses. You're not getting out of this. He says, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. And my dear friends, this morning, when you think about it, to have God's anger burning against you is not a good place to be, correct? <laughs> I don't want God's anger burning against me, and I'm sure that you don't either. So what can we learn out of this? You see, Moses overstepped the mark to where his humility and his sense of inadequacy becomes unbelief and becomes stubborn resistance. And again, I love how Charles Swindoll addresses this and, and relates it to our own lives. Listen to what he says. He, reads this, he writes this little poem. It says this, Lord, I am willing. I'm willing to receive what you give. I'm willing to lack what you withhold. I'm willing to relinquish what you take. I'm willing to suffer what you require. And he goes on, he says this, that's how to curb our tendency to resist. That's how to shed that uncomfortable mule suit and run like a deer. Don't keep yanking on those loose strings of your life, thinking your own plan is best. Bring the whole tangled knot to God. Bring him your failures, <clears throat> your false starts, and your well-intentioned crusades that landed you on the backside of a lonely desert. Let him sort through the, de the details of your life and give you fresh direction. I love what he says here. No one unties knots like the Lord. Hey, you got a few knots in your life, anyone? Got a few knots in your life? What are you going to do with them? I reckon it's good to give them to God. 
I reckon it's better to come to God with the knot rather than you try and figure it out and untangle it yourself because I reckon if you try to do that on your own, you'll just make a bigger knot. Come to God with the knots and your failures. Give them to him. He knows what to do with them. Uh, Sorry, you don't. You see, God knew when Moses was ready to hear his voice. God knew when he was ready to hear God's heart. God knew when he was ready to hear God's plan. And finally, God knew Moses was ready to know God's presence. How beautiful to know his presence. Enjoy God's presence, my brother and sister. You know what? He enjoys yours. It was at the burning bush in chapter 3 and verse 5 where Moses truly encountered the presence of God. God's message, this is my paraphrase, take off your sandals, Moses, because the way you used to walk is not going to work now that you're in my presence. Take them off, Moses, because the old way you used to walk, the old way you used to do things is not my way. Take them off. You're on holy ground now because where you're standing is where I am. And where I am is holy ground. God said this in verse 6. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So can you see here that Moses was now ready to know God's presence? After his first, after his first excuse in verse 11, chapter 3, and sending him back to Egypt to rescue his people, God reassures Moses by saying to him in verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. And that's the beautiful thing about God. He's never going to send you to go without him being there with you. In fact, as Moses actually said to Joshua at the end of his life, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Magnificent words. God, the great I am, is with you. I am. And this was to be, as we'll see, Moses' whole experience right through these 40 chapters of Exodus. For in verse 14, uh, God reveals to Moses his name, saying, I am who I am. In other words, God is saying to Moses, I am with you. And I love what Arthur Pink, I think it's Arthur Pink, A.W. Pink, how he puts this. Listen to what he says. And he quotes, quotes from Dwight Pentecost. He says, I am is the great Jehovistic name of God. Dr. Pentecost says, it contains each tense of the verb to be and might be translated, I was, I am and shall always continue to be. That's who God is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. That's who he is. 
Let me continue. The principle contained in this word of Jehovah to Moses contains timely instruction for us. We are to go forth declaring the name and nature of God as he has been revealed. This is his advice, and I kind of agree with this. No attempts are to be made to prove God's existence. No time should be wasted with people in efforts to reason about God. Our business is to proclaim the being of God as he has revealed himself in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The I am of the burning bush now stands fully declared in the blessed person of our Saviour who said, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. He is the eternal I am. The same yesterday, today and forever. Amen. And today, the Lord Jesus Christ, our great I am, says to you and me, who are, and can I also ask, are you, God knows, are you ready to hear God's voice, ready to hear God's heart, ready to hear God's plan, and ready to know God's presence. And if you are, the Lord Jesus says to you and me today as we close these magnificent words from Matthew 28, 20. And surely, you could probably say them with me, and surely I am with you, even until the end of the age. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are, you are the great I am. We, we, we can't fathom your name. In fact, I think, Lord, if we could understand your name, then you're not the God we're praying to. You're the indescribable God, but you are the great I am. And we thank you for those magnificent uh, words of comfort and reassurance. Words of challenge, Lord, I guess, because sometimes there may be us that we may think, yep, Lord, we're ready. But... Uh, you're the one who knows when we really are. And when we are, then you set us in motion. And we pray as a church that you'll always have our ear, Lord, have our heart, and that we will know your voice. We will know, Lord, your plan. We will know your heart, your plan, your presence. Teach us, Lord, what that means for each one of these dear brothers and sisters who are here this morning. What does that mean to me? Lord, speak to them, we pray. And we thank you that you have, through your word, by your spirit this morning. And we just want to surrender afresh ourselves to you. Help us to be faithful with what you've given us to do right now. Not stopping and gazing up into the air, but getting on with the job. And then just being ready when God speaks. Because you know when we are ready, Lord, you're the only one that really does. And we want to bless you for being such a caring, loving, heavenly father who really does know the needs of his children. Thanks, Lord. Bless you. We commit ourselves afresh to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, church.